amazing and that you can take even someone like me and offer hope and forgiveness and freedom. And it's that message that gives us hope this morning. It's that that we sing about and that we celebrate. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to never believe that you've done everything that you're going to do, but that there is always, always hope that you aren't done yet. And so, Lord, we we praise you for that, and we pray that you would speak to our hearts now in the teaching of your word. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Amen. Well, this morning we are taking a break from our Acts series, and we are going to step back into the Old Testament to the book of Joshua, chapter 14. So if you would turn back there to the book of Joshua, and if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, you can grab one from underneath the seat in front of you there, and it's page 221, uh, Joshua chapter 14. Now, I brought something this morning that, that I want to show you. I'm pretty excited about it. It's, it's a piece of new technology that is going to change our culture like it's never been changed before. I mean, I mean, I can't even imagine what life is going to be like in a hundred years because of this object that I have right here on this table. It's going to change everything. It truly is going to change everything. You want to see what it is? There it is. I'm sure the reaction of folks in, back in the day was a little, maybe more exciting than that. I don't know, though. Um, you know, those statements that I just made were completely true in 1860 when this was invented. Um, up until the time this was invented, the only way we had to communicate with each other was paper and pen. There was no other way to communicate with people than with paper and pen. And I wonder what would have happened if everyone, when this had been invented, everyone had said, you know what, we really like this. And we're going to keep this this way forever. I am so glad that people who were alive in this day didn't say, we're done. That's good enough. It's amazing, but that's good enough. We don't need to change it anymore. You know, I, I'm glad they, they didn't say, we're done, because you won't see me at McDonald's with that. You know, maybe with this, I can type a letter on this, Maybe with my laptop computer, you will not see me at McDonald's with that. However, this morning I was thinking, wouldn't it be fun to take that to McDonald's sometime? And sit there eating your Big Mac, typing a letter? I wonder what kind of... I, you just need to videotape the looks of people. I mean, some of you kids may not even know what this is. It's called a typewriter, okay? Um, but, but guys didn't say we're done. They said, we're not done yet. And they, they improved upon this. They, they made them lighter so that, so that guys that were, were reporters in the field could actually take them with them. And they did. They took them with them. And, and then when electricity uh, became available, they figured out a way how to make this electric. And, and then they did something even more amazing than that. They, instead of using these long things that have the letters attached to the end of them, um, because you can only type so fast on one of these. If, if you even come close to hitting two letters at the same time, they stick. In fact, these stick in, even when you don't do two letters at the same time. But um, they came out with this little round ball, right, on the IBM Selectric something or other. I remember actually 
typing on that in high school. Um, but they didn't stop there. They said, we're not done yet. And, and they continued to improve the typewriter and, until, until somewhere around 1943, we had the creation of the first digital computer. It was called the ENIAC. The uh, Electronic Numerical Integrator and Calculator. Um, this was an amazing piece of technology. Um, it could add and subtract. I, I think I didn't do a lot of research, but I think that's about all it could do um, was mathematical computations. And, and here it is. It was built by the University of Pennsylvania. They began construction in 1940. Construction, notice they say construction in 1943, and was not completed until 1946. Um, it occupied 1,800 square feet, used 17,468 vacuum tubes, 15,000 relays, weighed almost 50 tons, and used 200 kilowatts of electricity at the cost of $500,000. Now, aren't you glad they said we're not done yet? Because we would all look funny with, you know, 53-foot van trailers parked out front of our house with a wire going into, into our house for our computer. They said we're not done yet. And they continued and they continued and, then they, and they continued. Well, the first portable computer weighed 55 pounds, had a 5-inch CRT display, a tape drive, had a whopping 1.9 megahertz palm processor, and had a huge, enormous 64 kilobytes of RAM. In, in the picture, uh, this, this is an IBM 5100 taken in 1975. Now, I was actually alive in 1975. I do not remember that. But I do remember the TRS-80 Radio Shack computers, right? Where the keyboard and the screen was all together in one. And we did basic programming in that. And then it just continued to accelerate from there. Steve Wozniak created the first Apple I computer in 1976. And, and, and actually, we know what, where they are with that as well. Um, over and over and over again, people kept saying, we're not done yet. We're not done yet. We're not done yet. We can do more. We can do this better. Uh, have you ever received one of these? Uh, my wife bought me this, not for me, but bought this for me yesterday, and I appreciate it. Have you ever received a birthday card? Have you ever received one of these birthday cards? Right? Okay. There is more computer power in this card than there was on the planet in 1950. In this card. And, and we, we get these, we look at them, we listen to the cute song, and then we throw them away. Right? Um, I am so glad that somebody didn't say we are done. Because I don't really like the status quo. I don't know anybody who is happy shooting 25% at the free throw line. They, they're just not comfortable with that. They, it, a coach, if you have a player that's shooting 25% at the free throw line, you tell them, right, you're not done yet. You need to shoot some more free throws. You need to work harder. You need to practice more. And I'm telling you, God isn't willing to settle with the status quo either because He's not done yet either. He continues to work. He continues to move. The Holy Spirit continues to empower us. 
for the mission that He has on this planet because there are still people who have not been rescued, who need to be saved, and He will continue His mission on this planet until everyone has had a chance to hear. And we know that everyone hasn't yet because we're still here. And the Bible says that when that happens, the end is very near. Very, very near. God is still at work. He, he wants us to grow and mature as Christians. He, uh, that's, why, that's why this building is here. That's why this facility exists. That's why our organization exists. Uh, is, is to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to our community. That's why you are here. Now this morning we're going to take a look at a man that served the Lord wholeheartedly and he never gave up. And it is so encouraging to me. He stayed true to God no matter what. Now, I heard a message by a pastor, uh, Skip Heitzig, from the Calvary Chapel in Albuquerque a couple weeks ago. Um, he's influenced the points on this. Uh, I just want to give him credit. And, and, I, and I searched. How many sermons have been done titled Not Done Yet? And I did a search of that. And there are hundreds of them. So now there's hundreds and one of them titled Not Done Yet. And as we talk downstairs after and we look forward to this coming year and the next year, um, I just want to communicate to us that, that this, this is not a time to just kind of hang out and enjoy um, you know, a, a message every Sunday morning and it stops there. It cannot stop there because God is not done yet and we should not be done yet as well. Well, there's three things that Caleb does in, in this passage. He, he looks back, he looks around, and he looks ahead. He looks back carefully, and he looks around candidly, and he looks ahead courageously. He looks, he looks back carefully at what God has brought him through. He looks back carefully at what God has brought him through. And he looks around candidly at where God has brought him to. And then he looks ahead courageously at what God might want to do through him. Let's be encouraged and challenged by this this morning. Beginning in verse 6 of Joshua chapter 14. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved about in the desert, so here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me. As the day Moses sent me out, I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, 
and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. And then it goes down and says, Then the land had rest from war. So Caleb looks back, and oh, the story that Caleb has to tell. He's 85 years old. Let's, let's think about this. Caleb wandered in the, in the desert with the Israelites for 45 years. Okay? So before they started doing that, he was 40 years old. And at 40 years old, he was standing on the shore of the Jordan River. And where did God bring them to bring them to that point? They, Caleb was living in Egypt in bondage to the Egyptians. Caleb saw Moses come in. Caleb saw Moses lead them out. Caleb saw God part the Red Sea. Caleb walked across on dry land. Caleb saw the pillar of fire at night. Caleb saw the pillar of cloud by day. Caleb saw God provide for the Israelites in amazing ways. And they come to the edge of the Jordan River and, and they send in these 12 spies. And Caleb is one of them. And, and what do they see? They see amazing land. A, a land of milk and honey. It's flowing. I mean, I don't know if this is accurate, but I imagine grapes the size of basketballs. Right? I mean, it's amazing what's in this land. And, and Caleb comes back, and Caleb and, and one of the other spies says, let's take it. God says He's given it to us. Let's go. But ten of the other spies said, yeah, we saw the same stuff you saw too. But there's big people in this land. And there's fortified cities in this land. And we can't overtake them because we're just this small nation of people. We don't know how to fight. And the more they talked that poison into the community of people, the entire nation rebelled against God and said, you know what? We ain't going in. We're not going. And what did God say? God said, I'm very sorry about that. And he said, everyone, everyone actually, but the two spies who were in Moses' generation, in that generation, he said, you will not enter into the promised land. Moses did not get to go in. He sought. But because of the unfaithfulness and the unbelief of the people of his nation, God says, all right, okay. We got some teaching to do here. So for 40 plus years, they wander around in the desert. You know, it, 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 and, and Caleb is looking back at this. And he's saying, this is what happened. And we need to do that in our own lives too. And as a church, we need to do that. We need to look back and we need to see what happened. What did God do? What are those things that God did? And, and as I thought about this, this this week, I thought, you know, 30 plus years ago, Pastor Dick Young came here and this church began with a mission and a passion to reach Goshen County in the name of Jesus Christ. That's why this building was built, the one that we're sitting in right now. And, and, at, and at one point, Pastor Dick asked himself the question, um, what is our fair share? What is our fair share of this community? Of the 17,000 people in this county that we live in, what is the percentage of people that we should hope or should, should seek to reach for Jesus Christ? And, and of course, you know, I kind of want to say, well, all of them. Right? But, but for, for what percentage should we expect to be in this building on a Sunday morning? What, what is our share? 
And, and that's, that's, that's what their mission was. Was to reach people with the name of Jesus Christ. Neighbors, family members, friends. That's why this church is still here. 20 years ago, we had a new pastor. And, and, and the mission continued. We saw God changing lives. 20 years ago, I came as a wet-behind-the-ears youth pastor. Dripping wet-behind-the-ears youth pastor. And this church graciously, amazingly, allowed me to grow up and make mistakes. Because, trust me, I made plenty of them. There were parents upset with me at times. Um, I learned the responsibility in phone message making. Um, some of you may know that story. I'll tell you sometime if you don't know it. Um, I, I mean, uh, God has raised me up in this church as a pastor. And, and then five years ago, as I took on the new role as your pastor, um, we started some new initiatives. Um, Pastor Ty's role changed at that time. And, and, and we began to, as a team, begin to, to try and challenge and push our church to, to get it in our heads that we're not done yet. It's not enough just to have a church and, and have services on Sunday morning and come and, and sit and hear a nice message or maybe a challenging message. And, and then maybe, maybe, maybe you remember it past the driveway. Maybe you don't. And then you come back next Sunday and you do the same thing. That's not, we're not done yet. We're not done yet. So we talked a lot about what it meant to love God and love our neighbors. Jesus says, love, the God with, love your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest commandments. And, and we begin to, to do that and, and try and make that a part of who we are as people and as believers and as followers of Christ. And we begin to live by the vision that says we want to grow as followers of Christ and invite others to the adventure. Because it is an adventure. It, it, just, it just really is. It's, it's a great adventure. It's a great adventure. And, and, and within that process, we began to look at, at, at our facilities, which, which at that point in time had, had been here for 30 plus years, except for the new Life Center, which, which was built in, uh, in, during the midst of Pastor Brad's time here. And we began to say, what, are there some things that we could do inside that could help us in our mission to people on the outside? And we decided that there were some things. And, and we built a building to hold our buses and, and our stuff for our compassion ministry. And, and we updated um, the bathrooms. Some of you don't know that when you're pouring your coffee in the morning, that you are standing in the old women's bathroom. Okay, we've changed it, obviously. But it was there. They weren't where they are now. But I want you to know that we're not done yet. We're, we're not done yet. We, we updated the bathrooms. We updated the front of the stage. And again, some of you are sitting here going, it's always been this way, right? What, what I do know is those of you who have, don't know that this hasn't always been this way, you didn't come in the building, I, I don't think, and, and look around and go, ooh, look at that orange carpet. Or whatever. Um what we didn't want to do was turn people off when they came in the doors. 
and make it so that wasn't a hindrance of their hearing the message that we have to present here. And, and uh, I, I heard somebody, I'm, I'm uh, counseling a couple, they're going to be getting married um, this summer, and uh, I d- didn't know them until they called the church and said, hey, we'd like to talk to you about doing our wedding. And I'm like, well, how? And, and one of them said, well, I've been in this church before, it was for a funeral. And, and the other, the other uh, the young lady said, uh, I was in this church as well at the same time um, for that funeral, and I just liked the vibe I got when I was here. And I think, you know what? I want to be a church that has a good vibe when you walk into it. Now, that good vibe doesn't come solely from carpet and, and tile in a bathroom, I know. It comes from the power and the work of the Holy Spirit within the people that are in that building. And I'm telling you, God's not done yet. You see, four years ago, we presented the congregation with a pretty big challenge and a pretty big goal. And, and we felt it was a goal that only could be accomplished if God was in it. And, and God accomplished that goal. And the funds were raised. And, and, and we began moving forward. And, and now we only have one really phase left in that inside and out Campaign, and that's adding on to the foyer out here. And we're going to be talking about that downstairs, and we're going to be talking about that um, for the next month and, and make a final decision on what that looks like and how we're going to go forward with that. But what I want to say is, even apart from facilities and things like that, in your life and in my life, God's not done yet. He's not done yet. And let's not settle into the fact that or the thought that maybe he might be. Because God continues to do really amazing things. I had somebody come up to me this morning and, and she has been praying for husband for her husband for years. And she said that they're going through a, they're through a Bible study together and that he, that he went out and bought his first Bible. That's good stuff. I got a phone call from another person in the church last week and he said, Dave, I've got to tell you something. He said, I've been sharing Christ with this one gentleman and this morning or today, or I don't remember what the time frame was, but today, he's a believer. He put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Today, that's amazing. God's not done yet. He's not done yet. And he wants to use each and every one of us in accomplishing his mission. So, so Caleb, Caleb looks back. He looks back carefully at what God did. Then Caleb looks around, and he looks around candidly and honestly in evaluating where he is at. He says, he, he, he mentions that he's, he's 85 years old. And then he says, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now, there were these three sisters and they were all living together in this house. And the youngest was 92. And then the next oldest was 94. And the next oldest was 96. And the 96-year-old sister one night goes upstairs and she draws herself a bath. And she puts her foot in there. And, and before she got in, she kind of paused a little bit. And then she hollered down to her 94-year-old sister. And she says, I can't remember if I was getting in the tub or if I was getting out of the tub. And her 94-year-old sister says, I don't know, I'll come up and see. And so she starts up the stairs, and halfway up the stairs she pauses. And she thinks for a moment, this has happened to me too. um, She thinks for a moment, and she pauses, and she, she she yells out, I can't remember if I was going up the stairs or down the stairs. 
And their youngest sister, 92 years young, is sitting at the table having tea, listening to her sisters. And she's shaking her head. And she says, I'm sure glad I never get that forgetful. Knock on wood. And she knocks on the dining room table. There's this log pause. And she says, I'll come up and help both of you as soon as I answer the door. That was a courtesy laugh, wasn't it? I can take that one out of the rip. I can X that one out. Getting old ain't for sissies, I know. Um, it's hard to get old. It is. But we've got an 85-year-old man here who says, I'm as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. He's 45 years old, older. Now, I'm not questioning his statement, but I just kind of wonder if 45 years of wandering in the desert wouldn't take a toll on a man, Right? I, I can't help but think that Caleb's not necessarily thinking of himself in the physical sense. He's, he's thinking of himself in the sense that he's wholeheartedly serving the Lord and he has his faith in him. And he knows that the Lord will do just for him today as he had said he would do for him 40 years ago. We need to look around candidly at where we're at. And I think we need to ask the question of ourselves, have I gotten comfortable? Have I gotten just kind of sort of mundane in my life and in my spiritual life? And, and it is, has church just become something that I do and, it, and, and it's not necessarily powerful in my life because I just come and I sit and I hear a message and I leave. And then I come and I sit and I hear a message and then I leave. And, it, and, and for whatever reason, it doesn't make it through my ears, into my head, and to my heart. And my life's no different today than it was a year ago, or two years ago, or three years ago. It doesn't matter your age. I, you're not going to get an excuse out of me, from me. If, if, if you're here and you're old, I'm just going to say it that way. Okay, I, I'm, I'm getting old, I know. But if you're getting... If you're here and you're thinking, but Pastor Dave, I just don't have the energy to do things that I once had the energy to do. And, and as you say that, you kind of push yourself back from any sort of responsibility or involvement in anything. I want to challenge you with that. Caleb obviously isn't thinking that way. He's got a mountain to take, and it's still occupied. He's still going to have to fight for it. You know, as you look around in the context of this passage, there's still parts of the promised land that God hasn't delivered yet, and this is one of them. Maybe some of you are thinking that it's time to retire from life. You've climbed the hill, you've got the top to the top, and now you're over the hill, and you view yourself as sliding down the other side, just kind of coasting. I don't think God meant for us to live our life that way. Because I don't believe he's done yet. I don't believe he's done with you yet. My dad was born in 1929. Now, I know there are a few of you that are older than him, but not many in this room. And my dad, who's of retirement age, still piddles around a little bit on the farm doing things that his two sons need him to do, driving the tractor, baling some hay, windrowing some hay, that sort of thing. And then he goes south for three months. Now when you hear that, 
you think, well, I know lots of people that go south for three months. They live in a really nice retirement place and there's all of these things to do. He doesn't do that. Dad goes south for three months and offers his free carpentry skills to a church or a church camp and he does something that God has given him to do in continuing to further the kingdom of God. You see, God's not done with him yet. I'm thinking maybe that would be kind of a fun thing to do when I'm his age. I hope I make it there. But, but here's another problem. I want to talk to you young whippersnappers in the room. Yes, I'm getting old enough that I can say that now. Yikes. Here's the thing. Uh, I'm, I'm going to make an observation about my father's church. My dad and my oldest brother, who are both old enough to be my father. My brother, oldest brother, is old enough to be my father too. They are doing today as much work in the church as they were doing 30 years ago. Now, why is that? It's because the younger folks in their church have not stepped up and stepped into those roles and those things that my dad and my brother have done for many years. Now, we could say that's part of the older generation's problem in not bringing those folks up, but I think there's also another problem here, and that's that we need our younger generations to step up. Some of you were born and raised in this church, and you're having your kids in this church. And, 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 and what you need to know is that your parents, more often than not, did the work that they're doing now without children. They did the work in the church and of the ministry when they had children, when they had you. And you know how difficult that was, right? Some of you were tough kids. What we need is for the 40 and under Caleb's in this room to get a sense that God is not done with you yet. And, and, and I don't care if you think you're too tired. Caleb is 85 years old. And he says, give me my mountain. You're 40 and younger, 30, 25. And I think you need to have the same attitude that he has. I'm serving the Lord wholeheartedly and fully. Give me my mountain. I will take it, I will protect it, and I will serve it. We need you. You have a lot to contribute. You do. Neither age group is off the hook in this room. Because God is not done with you yet. He's not. He wants to use you in the lives of of the people in our community. And all who are in Christ Jesus have the greatest gift to offer, bar none. There is no better thing. I don't care what the world has sold you is good in this life. Nothing is better than salvation in Jesus Christ. Today, not today, not next year, not in eternity. Nothing is better than that. And, and we have that to offer to people. Now, it's not you and me that make them believe. 
We are just giving testimony to it, and God does the changing of hearts. I, I, uh, I had the opportunity, and I've been looking for more as, as God's been impressing on me that, that, that this is important. Um, last week, towards the end of the week, I had the, the um, privilege of sharing the gospel message with three different people. And by the third person, I was excited and pumped and looking for somebody else to grab. Now, I'm not the best at it. I know that there are, there are people in this room that, that are better at kind of communicating and what I guess I would call closing the deal maybe, but I just have this attitude, again, that, that I'm, I'm not doing the saving. I am just the communicator here, and God's going to do whatever he wants to do in their life. And, and every one of those people said they would be interested in talking more about it. So I didn't offend them. What opportunities might you have in the course of a week to share life-changing truth with somebody? Their life will never, ever be the same again. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, this, says it this way, but because of His great love for us, because His great love for you and for me, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, for it is by grace that you have been saved. We don't get what we deserve and we get what we don't deserve. God's mercy and grace. So we look back carefully at what God has brought us through. We look around candidly at where God has brought us to. And then Caleb looks ahead courageously. He looks ahead courageously at what God might want to do through him in his life. So here I am today, verse 10, he says, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. And then Joshua blessed Caleb and he sent him off and he gave him that land as his inheritance. There's still giants in the land. There's still fortified cities. But Caleb knows today as he did 45 years ago that God can overcome these things. Caleb knows God's not done yet. Now, it's not probably going to be easy. Maybe Caleb touches the mountain with his foot and all of the people just die. Maybe God does it that way. Maybe God has Caleb fight for it. He has to pull out his cane and beat a few people. I don't know. But as I look at this, what I do know is Caleb has more of his faith and his trust in his God than he does in himself to overcome the things that he's facing. And there are a lot of people in this room that are facing things that are pretty tough. And you may be looking at the things that you're facing and, and they may be rising as the walls of Jericho and you may think to yourself, there is no way that I can get over this wall. There's no way. And maybe that's where you've been for the last year or five years or two weeks. But we need to learn something from Caleb today. And that, that is, it doesn't matter how big the giant or how big the wall. Our God is faithful. And He often puts us in 
impossible situations so that we can trust Him and see that it is only by His power that we are able to get through this. We need to remember the promises of God as Caleb did. And we need to look ahead courageously even when we're confronted with crummy stuff in our life. I think most of us in this room know how crummy life can get. And it's hard when you're in the midst of crummy life to recognize that God is still with you and that He is just as powerful today as He was before you entered into that crummy time in your life. Caleb was a realist. He said there were giants in the land. But he was also wholeheartedly faithful to God. And he said, there might be giants in there. But my God is much bigger than those giants. And he said he's going to give it to us and we need to trust that he's going to give it to us. And we need to go in there. And his faith hasn't changed in 45 years. He still believes it. In fact, he believes it and and he's very specific in the promise because he's like... God told Moses who told me that I could have that mountain and now I want my mountain. And God has given us mountains in our life and we need to look at those mountains and we need to say, God, I need you to deliver that mountain to me in my life. I trust you to do it. Five other promises I want you to leave with. Write these in your notes this morning. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. This is in red letters, by the way. Jesus is saying this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Some here this morning just need rest for your souls. You can grab a hold of this promise, and you can wholeheartedly trust that Jesus will, in fact, give you rest. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Paul says, And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You got needs? God's got riches. <laughs> Let's trust Him for those things. Again, being a realist in the midst of this, we hold on to this promise, and I'm sure Caleb did. Caleb was holding on to God's promise at the moment when he said we can go in there and everybody else was saying we can't. And what did he end up doing? He ended up wandering the desert for 45 years. God didn't just take Caleb and kind of pick him out of that rebellious bunch and set him in the promised land to his own little part of the country. He, he suffered along with the people but he didn't lose his faith. He knew that God was with him all the way. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise. That's a promise we hold on to. That's a promise we teach to our children. That's a promise we mention to our neighbors. Let me just tell you about something. This, this is what God says. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
sin is nasty. It's destructive. It's dark. But God gives us a gift, and that's forgiveness and eternal life. And then this final one here, I think it is your memory verse, but I can't remember if it is for sure. I, if it's not, this you could wipe cross that other one out and write this one in for it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. We are... Some of you are in the 23rd mile of a marathon and you have hit the wall. And you need to know that your God is still with you. And let's persevere and let's push on and run the race that's marked out before us. Let's look ahead courageously. Let's jump in. Let's, let's ask God honestly. Let's, let's, let's all ask Him, Lord, have I become comfortable? Have, have I become sort of... Uh, have I take, do I take You for granted in how I'm living my life? And if so, would You please speak to me? And as You speak to me, Oh Lord, I need the strength to be obedient to You as Caleb was, not as the other ten spies. God's not done yet. And neither are we. Lord Jesus, thank you. Uh, Lord, thank you for this church and, and for, Father, just the family that it is. And Lord, I pray that, that you would, would light a holy fire under us like you had lit under Caleb and that, that we would serve you and, and follow you wholeheartedly even in the midst of the walls and the, the, the mountains and the giants that we face in our life. Help us, Lord, to hold on to Your promises. And Lord, I pray that You give us wisdom as we continue to, to move into the year 2014 as a church. Give us wisdom. And Lord, I pray that You would raise up, raise up some new leaders in our church. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen older leaders and help them to see that you're not done with them either. As we serve you and as we seek to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in our area, in Jesus' name, amen.